This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be discussing the ideal human diet. And I understand this doesn't mean that this is the ideal diet for every individual. However, I will be discussing my conclusions from the breadth of research which I've conducted over the past 10 years in regards to which diet and which foods best meet humans' biological needs for nutrition and health. I'm sensitive to the fact that people have their own unique ideas and strong beliefs in regards to which diet best meets their own needs, and they may have grown up eating cultural food as I did and have had to make the best out of what they have, maybe with the foods on hand and the finances on hand. I do, with this episode, want to offer some evidence in regards to which foods are actually necessary for human health versus those which may be harmful to human health and being large contributors to diseases like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, and a host of other diseases. I work within the performing arts industry with a lot of dancers. I'm highly involved in the yoga community, business communities, and as well within the health and food industries. I love and care about the people in my life. I care about the well-being of my family and my friends Their ability to live a high-quality, full life is something that is important to me. I've lost people in my life to cancer and related diseases, which has been devastating for me and everyone involved. I understand it's a sensitive topic, and many people do have strong beliefs on this, as do I. And I don't often go into this place where I am talking about food so openly and honest and I'm not really going to sugarcoat things, but I do just want to say it is not my intention to preach, talk down to you, or pontificate my beliefs at all. I do want to share in a very non-threatening way what has helped me along my journey to improve my health. Starting off with meat. Meat is something that I grew up eating quite a bit in my life. I'm half Iranian, and I'm German and English, so I did grow up eating a lot of things like kebab and chicken and fish within my dietary regime growing up. And I did deal with quite a bit of sickness and quite a bit of digestive discomfort. Within the past few years, the World Health Organization has come to classify processed meat such as bacon, sausage, ham, pepperoni, deli meats as carcinogenic and directly related to causing cancer in humans. And this is after looking at over 800 studies, some of which have been around as long as 50 years in over 10 countries, and it now classifies meat as a group 1 carcinogen in the same group as smoking cigarettes, asbestos, arsenic, and plutonium. Red meat is also considered a group 2 carcinogen. The American Cancer Society unfortunately promotes the consumption of these products because they receive money from the very industries that cause these diseases, like fast food chains, the beef association, and 
This is all in effort to protect their brand and gain profits. The truth of the matter is, in the U.S., one in every four deaths is from cancer, and only 5 to 10% of cancer is genetic, which means that a lot of the factors that are contributing to cancer are individual lifestyle factors, which can be changed. A Harvard study showed that men with prognostic or prostate cancer and a high poultry intake had a fourfold increased risk of recurrence or progression of their cancer. I did lose a man in my life that was like a grandfather to me to prostate cancer, and it was absolutely devastating. On average, most people consume a lot of meat and dairy products in effort to meet their protein needs. However, most Americans get about 100 out of the 50 grams of protein they need on a daily basis. However, get about 15 of the 30 grams of fiber that they need, which contributes largely to colon cancer, issues like indigestion, IBS, and a host of other digestive issues. Also, women who have had breast cancer increase their chance of dying of breast cancer by 49% and dying from anything at all just by continuing to consume dairy in their diets. The thing about cancer is, cancer can only exist in an acidic body. As humans, we thrive off eating fruits and vegetables, which are alkaline-forming in our bodies. Vitamin C is very, very important in addressing cancer growth, and certain patients that have been diagnosed with cancer have been able to see great improvement by doing vitamin C injections opposed to doing chemotherapy. When we look at the difference between vitamin C infusions versus chemotherapy, they cause far less damage and are very effective, but they don't make a lot of money or as much as chemo does. But the vitamin C really helps bring the body into an alkaline state and you can't cause cancer to healthy cells. When we eat heated animal protein oils, chips, and processed foods, and still try to eat alkaline foods, we can't remain cancer-free just because we also eat those alkaline foods. We have to remove the cause to allow the body to heal itself. Diabetes is also a very, very prominent issue. A Harvard study found that by eating one serving of processed meats a day, consumers could put themselves at a 51% increased risk of diabetes. At this rate, in the next 20 years, one in three Americans will have diabetes. As it is, one in three Medicare dollars is spent in the care of people with diabetes, and one in 10 healthcare dollars is spent on people with diabetes. Right now, we approximately see about 350 million people dealing with diabetes. Oftentimes, the government and media blame a lack of exercise and sugary foods to contributing to diabetes. However, diabetes was never caused by eating a high-carbohydrate diet, nor was it caused by eating fat. The cause is a diet which builds up the amount of fat in the blood, especially animal fats like cholesterol. In this process, the muscle cells in the body build up with tiny molecules of fat causing insulin resistance. And insulin needs to be released into the bloodstream in order to receive the glucose into the muscle. Since this insulin is not able to get out of the muscle into the bloodstream and receive the glucose, which is a main fuel for muscles, the sugar stays in the bloodstream and is unable to get into the cell walls where it belongs. 
and unfortunately this makes the host weaker because they have no fuel getting into their cells and their blood sugar gets higher and higher. This is why people oftentimes are put on insulin injections because there's so much fat in their muscles and in their blood that the insulin is not able to do its necessary natural functioning. Unfortunately, when a child gets diagnosed with diabetes, you take 19 years off their lifespan on average. Many people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well have misdiagnosed dementia, which has been caused by arterial blockages in the blood vessels in their brain. When oxygenated blood can't reach the brain properly, the brain can't work properly, and those nerve endings and those nerve functions will not fire the same as they once did. The American Diabetes Association doesn't make this information public because they also do receive money from the very industries that cause the prevalence of diabetes to stir confusion in consumers and protect their business motives and profits. They take money from fast food chains, corn industries, which are responsible for producing high fructose corn syrup, and it really does lead to a lot of confusion because many people think that diabetic patients should not be having a lot of sugar when the actual issue is they need to reduce the amount of fat that is in their diet. Fat blocks the ability for glucose to enter the cell properly. And in order to cure or alleviate symptoms of diabetes, a low-fat, plant-based diet has proved to be very, very effective. I have personally two friends of mine one of them being Christina Carrillo Bucaram, and she's also known in social media as Fully Raw Christina. She actually dealt with the onset of type 2 diabetes in her teen years and was able to completely reverse her symptoms by eating a raw food diet. She's done this for, I believe, the past 12 years and shared her journey, her recipes, and her transformation through her YouTube channel and in her book. You can also check her out on Instagram, and she does eat 100% raw foods, raw fruits and vegetables. Another friend of mine who is also a raw vegan, Robbie Barbero, known as Mindful Diabetic Robbie, on his social media platforms on YouTube and Instagram, shares his knowledge on YouTube and through diabetes camps, which he leads, and seminars to educate people with type 2 diabetes, how to reverse their diabetes, as well as people with type 1 in how to reduce their insulin sensitivity and dependence. And Robbie is a type 1 diabetic, so he does have to take insulin on a regular daily basis. He is able to thrive on a raw plant-based diet, eating large quantities of fruit. And, you know, to most diabetic patients or people who have a brief understanding of diabetes, this would seem absolutely crazy because they think, oh my gosh, like there's so much sugar in the bloodstream. How could that possibly be healthy? But I'm really proud of these two friends of mine. They've made a huge difference in the lives of many people. And it's mainly from being able to heal themselves and find answers for themselves to begin with. So if you are somebody or you know somebody dealing with type 2 diabetes and they're interested in finding a natural cure, I really suggest you check out either of their profiles and I will leave links in the show notes. Moving on to cardiovascular disease. Over 17 million people die every single year from cardiovascular disease and it's the leading cause of death around the world. Nearly one out of every three people will die from this disease. When we look at heart disease, factors like sugar, alcohol, smoking, 
are although very harmful to human health, the main contributor to the issues is meat. Meat has a tremendous negative impact on the heart and heart health. The American Heart Health Association, as well as taking money under the table from meat, dairy, and fast food companies, so the funded studies supporting meat's consumption for human health are largely skewed and biased. When we look at adults, about two-thirds of adults are now overweight or obese. Many children by the age of 10 have fatty streaks in their arteries, and this is the first stage of atherosclerosis, which leads to heart attacks and strokes. And this is something we didn't see in children, you know, 20 years ago. This is something that's fairly new. You know, as a society, we don't want to fat shame and we want everybody to feel good about themselves. But I have a problem when that movement to be comfortable in our bodies has made us comfortable with being sick and consuming foods which we are not biologically designed to consume. That being considered loving yourself and giving your body quote-unquote what it needs when there are most likely a host of other underlying psychological issues that need to be addressed and dealt with differently as well as other plant foods that would most likely meet the needs of your body much better this whole situation really does need to be addressed. I work with dancers on a daily basis, and having grown up as a dancer, body image and composition is important for optimal functioning as well as health. I've seen amazing dancers and known incredible beings from all walks of life with racial diversity, all shapes and sizes. What I'm talking about isn't in regards to outer appearance or society's standard of beauty. I'm really talking about meeting our biological nutrition and health needs head on. And if we are truly to love ourselves, we need to give our bodies the foods which we are biologically designed to consume for our optimal mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health. Obesity is like a death sentence. You are at a higher risk of cancer and you are almost certainly going to end up getting a form of diabetes. Usually people who do become obese are very, very eligible, unfortunately, to dealing with type 2 diabetes. And sometimes it can be difficult to make the dietary changes or the lifestyle changes that are necessary to improve our health because our family members sometimes are very comfortable with us being the way that we are. And sometimes it can be very critical of the way that we are and give us a lot of heat or a lot of judgment in regards to our appearance. However, when you make the decisions for you to take care of yourself and you don't get too sensitive about what other people's opinions are, sometimes you have to just make the best decision for yourself Listen to what your body actually needs instead of responding to artificial cravings that are literally laced into the food on purpose to make the food more addictive. Your definition of food has to change for your health and your life to change. The biggest trap of all, of course, is like when you're faced with the sight and the flavors of prepared foods everywhere you go, like restaurants, pizzerias, anytime you've walked past like a Wetzel's pretzel or a food court at the mall, there's all of these in incredibly powerful smells that are coming from this area. 
And I even notice it when I'm in airports as well. The smell of the food is so, so intense. And having eaten mostly raw foods for the past eight years, my sense of smell is much higher than it used to be. And now I find these foods fairly offensive to smell, but it is something that, you know, makes you hungry even when you're not. Our brains have been imprinted with the connection between sight and flavor of a particular food and the satisfaction that you derive from the additive substances which it contains, which are essentially like drug-like substances. The flavor of something that you love to eat or the sight of someone taking a bite out of what you know to be a delicious food makes your body react physically. It induces the release of specific hormones that subsequently stimulate secretion of enzymes that are required to digest the food you obviously are going to eat very soon or are planning on eating or just makes you hungry. If you don't subsequently eat something, your stomach will rumble and this will give you the idea that you are hungry even if you're not. If the desired food is also a quote-unquote low-calorie or healthy food, you may persuade yourself and say, oh, what the heck, this wouldn't be so bad. But a lot of the foods which are low-fat or have sugar substitutes have highly processed harmful chemicals in them, which never would naturally occur in nature. If you do feel hungry, I feel like it's important to do something called a fruit test and think to yourself, would I want to eat a ripe, fresh piece of fruit right now? Am I actually hungry? Think about it from that perspective, and if you're not actually interested in eating a piece of fruit, then you may not actually be hungry, and if you are interested in eating a piece of fruit, go for the fruit, not for the junky food. Each of us is different and susceptible to those different chemicals in a different way and different foods in a different way. We each have our own unique relationship to food. For some people, it's a comfort because those different chemical reactions in our body, they give us a sense of comfort that kind of acts as a blanket to mask a lot of other issues that might be going on on a deeper level. But it's important to fuel yourself with healthy foods. That way you have the energy and a clear mind to deal with whatever life throws at you. There's actually no fundamental difference between a drug junkie and a food junkie. They both need their fix every couple hours. They just look different. Drug junkies typically are skinnier and do not take care of their appearance. This is not a good thing by any means. It's not making them more attractive. It's absolutely devastating to your life to be addicted to drugs. And this is something that I grew up seeing as a volunteer as a young child when I would go and volunteer with my family at different shelters and feed people and help people that we're recovering from drug addiction. It's an absolutely brutal situation to be in, and it truly does destroy your life. It is possible to get help and recover. I've seen many people do this and know many people who are recovered drug addicts. However, it is not a substance you want in your life. You don't want drugs in your system of any sort. So whereas someone who might be addicted to things like cocaine or meth may have a very skinny appearance, the food junkie becomes overweight and obese and takes even more care of their appearance. 
both become dependent and need larger doses of the substances which they are ingesting to become satisfied, which is a total downward spiral. Cravings often are mixed up with hunger, but hunger is stimulated by the body's need for energy, whereas cravings are caused by an addiction to the chemicals in food. There are things such as beta-carbolines as well as opioid peptides which affect the serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, oxytocin, and growth hormone prolactin levels in our bodies. The Food and Drug Administration is the Food and Drug Administration for a reason. There are a lot of drugs within the processed foods which people consume, whether these be meat and dairy products or processed foods like crackers and chips and such. And these, along with acrylamide, which is something that forms once food is cooked or fried, it's that kind of crispy layer on the outside of it that makes it very satisfying to eat. Acrylamide is carcinogenic. It is cancer-forming in the body. These recipes literally store the chemicals in the fat cells because your body sees this as a toxin and to avoid it affecting your organs as much as possible it's stored in your fat cells however when your fat cells are being used for energy those toxins also release into the bloodstream and your body then begins to crave the very substances which brought the chemicals into your body in the first place so for example if you eat a bag of chips you eat the fat, you eat the carbohydrates from the potatoes, and you also eat the flavor enhancers, which are on the potatoes, as well as the sodium. The sodium is going to cause you to retain water because when you consume salt, it has to be diluted. That's why you might wake up puffy the next morning after you have a salty meal. So you will be hanging on to excess weight from the salt. You will be storing the fat pretty much immediately because the fat that you eat fairly directly goes into the fat cells in your body. And as well, the other toxins, your body will try to keep those away from your organs, so it will store it with the fat cells. So let's say you go to exercise or you're doing some activity. When you finish exercising, you may have burned some of the fat in your body, and that may have entered into your bloodstream, and you might have broken it down. The chemicals will then be in your bloodstream from the time when you ate the chips and your body will crave the chips. And a part of detoxification is allowing a lot of those things to come up, allowing a lot of the cravings to come up and instead going to fruits and vegetables and healthier options so that you're not continuing the process of when you start to detox from it, then you need it again. The same thing happens for drug addicts. When they start to not get that same hit and their body starts detoxing the drug, it's a very unpleasant experience, so they need more of that drug in order to stay satiated on a chemical level in their brain. The thing is, you can stop eating fruits. Fruits have quite a bit of water, nutrition, and fiber in them, so not only are they very filling, but when you take a first bite out of a fruit, it tastes very different than maybe the 20th or the 40th that you may take. As you continue to eat that same type of fruit, if you are doing something like a mono meal, which is when you eat one type of fruit for a meal, so that might look like 7 to 10 bananas or a few melons like honeydew melons or cantaloupe, you may experience that your first bite is very satisfying. However, once you get to the end of it, 
your body's ability to feel full with the receptors in your stomach, which gauge for the density of the food calorically, as well as the amount of water and fiber that is in there, will send signals to the brain saying, okay, I'm satiated, you've eaten enough food. This is a way to help your body detox from those harmful substances. When it comes to drugs, truly, though, there are about 450 drugs administered to animals alone in combination or with one another, and few, if any, of these drugs are actually beneficial to consumer health. The USDA sells about 80% of its antibiotics to livestock, and drug companies work very hard to make sure they can sell drugs to people growing cows, pigs, and chickens. Now, you might think, why would animals need antibiotics. They're running around on the farm in the sunlight, getting plenty of fresh air, and they're clean and healthy, right? That's not exactly the case. Animals that are grown for livestock live in very crowded, filthy, disease-infested conditions around other animals which are sick, hosting tumors, viruses, open wounds, or are even dead. The bacteria formed as a result is leading to antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria, which humans are becoming exposed to, and about 20,000 people a year are dying from this situation. There are also a large prevalence of pus-filled abscesses, which are not addressed until animals have already been killed and they are being processed and cut up. It's also very important to make sure you check food labels because monosodium glutamate, which is a destructive chemical to the frontal lobe of your brain, is also added to food to stimulate appetite. It's added to quite a few processed foods and in a lot of foods that you may eat at restaurants as a flavor enhancer. The unfortunate side of this is that animal drug companies test the safety of drugs on animals, however, are not required to test the results on human health. When meat is consumed, you also get toxins like heme, iron, processing chemicals, carcinogens, and it's more complex than just the saturated fat and cholesterol you eat when you consume these foods. The amino acid phenylalanine actually inhibits serotonin production by preventing the decarboxylation of 5-hydroxy-L-tryptophan to serotonin. This means your body cannot process serotonin properly, and serotonin is crucial for regulating cortisol and stress levels, as well as producing melatonin, which helps you sleep. Prepared foods in general and proteinaceous prepared foods are addictive because they contain beta-carbolines. This includes heated in any way meat, fish, eggs, nuts, beans, grains, and soy. Proteinaceous foods usually boost appetite because protein is not very satiating. It's not as satiating as something like fats or carbohydrates. And our body's needs for protein are very, very little in contrary to what the meat and dairy industries have advertised in the past and continue to advertise. People think that they need to consume lots of protein powder and such in order to build healthy muscles when that actually is not the case. If you find yourself overeating something due to some type of psychological reason, any food that tastes good, including ripe fruits, would be equally satisfying. But this is not the case. 
all of us are physically addicted to these beta-carboline and opiate substances which are in processed foods. Most of this information is kept extremely secret because pharmaceutical companies do not want consumers to understand what is going on. They want to continue making profits off of the drugs which they are selling through the meat and dairy industries, as well as make money off of the sick people who need medication as a result of consuming these toxic, cholesterol-filled, drug-laden products. Most medical models treat the symptoms of sickness, however, not the cause of the sickness. However, there is a growing movement of doctors in the plant-based healthcare nutrition movement with doctors like T. Colin Campbell and Caldwell Esselstyn, Dr. Greger. These doctors are educating other doctors, MDs, surgeons, and gynecologists in how they can help their patients actually by making the lifestyle changes relating to diet. Oftentimes, consuming a low-fat, plant-based diet is the optimal cure for reversing things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and a host of other illnesses. The animal foods that we have come to consume are highly, highly unsanitary. In the beef industry, there are approximately 200 kills an hour at a particular factory farm, just one factory farm which means that they are killing approximately four cattle per minute. As a result of these dangerously high speeds, animal waste from the gut and the colon and the organs, as well as the fecal matter in the intestines, ends up all over the place. 88% of pork chops are contaminated with fecal contents, and 90% of ground beef is contaminated with fecal matter. When we look at the dairy industry, we really don't want to drink milk from any mammal. It's important to not let yourself be fooled by the ads of the dairy industry because they are not interested in your health, they're interested in your money. The models and the actors that promote the milk products seldom, if ever, actually drink milk themselves because they know that it ruins their skin and causes excessive mucus secretion in the human lymphatic system. The dairy industry uses these famous faces to enhance sales for their yogurt and ice cream products. They know we find common people are suckers for celebrities. If beautiful, famous people promote milk in all of the Got Milk ads, then it's you know thought by the general public that it must be good. However, this is hardly the case. When we look at cheese... Cheese is made by taking the casein protein of milk and rotting it with a variety of bacteria that yield byproducts which many human palates have come to appreciate due to the casomorphine reaction activating heroin receptors in the brain. Cheese is a highly toxic concoction of putricative proteins, fermented carbohydrates, and rancid fats. This substance is seen to be causing sickness, disease, debility, as well as causing tumors and cancer. Now, my mom's from Wisconsin, and we grew up eating quite a bit of cheese. However, every single year, I would get sick multiple times with ear infections, throat infections, and I even had staph infection when I was about three and a half years old in my hip, which had to be septically treated and I had to receive surgery. I only stopped getting infections as serious as I did when I was eating dairy once I went vegan. 
The dangerous thing about this casein protein, which is a main protein in cheese which breaks apart in the human digestive tract, is that it also produces casomorphines, which are received in the brain by the same receptors that heroin attaches to. So when people say, oh my gosh, I love cheese or I'm like addicted to cheese, that's because these casomorphines in the cheese actually activate a drug-like response in the body. Now, human milk has about 2.7 grams of casein in it per liter. And when we compare that to the 26 grams per liter in cow's milk, that's almost 10 times as much. So there's no wonder we find it so addictive. In a study conducted by researcher T. Colin Campbell, he gave rats a diet alternating between 5 and 10% casein. In the 12-week study, the rats eating the 20% amount of casein had an increased number of early cancer clusters or tumor growth present. However, the rats eating only the 5% protein had no incidence of cancer at all. Now, when we look at the human diet, and our necessary needs for protein, they are very little. Human milk has the lowest protein content ever in comparison to all other species ever tested. This is the fluid that has been designed over the course of millions of years of evolution to be the most perfect food for human babies, for them to grow during the most rapid period of growth in their life, which is typically between the ages of zero to four years old. No other mammals drink the milk of any other species except humans, for whom it has become enculturated or accepted by society. We are no more designed to drink cow's milk than we are designed to drink the milk of pigs, rats, dogs, cats, mice, or giraffes, or any other mammal for that matter. However, to increase the sales, the dairy industry had to convince women that formula milk is as good as mother's milk, and even may be fortified with extra vitamins and minerals. Simply ignoring the fact that mother's milk contains all the nutrients that babies need and that too much of any extra mineral is actually harmful. We must acknowledge that there are long-term effects from this. Babies that are fed formula milk make better quote-unquote future food consumers. The sales are practically guaranteed because the manufacturers push all of the chemicals and all of the appetite-enhancing substances on the children at a very early age. So they get accustomed to the flavors and the feelings of eating and experiencing food in a certain way. But the costs of formula milk are extremely underestimated. Formula-fed children are on average less intelligent and are more subject to obesity. They also are susceptible to multiple types of allergies, infections, as well as diseases. These babies cry often because they're not fed properly. The most appropriate milk for humans is mother's breast milk, not cow's milk. I mean, the issue with children consuming dairy is that children are dealing with a host of illness factors linked to dairy consumption, such as eczema, acne, calcium, and iron deficiency, constipation, as well as asthma. Many asthmatic symptoms can be confused actually with bovine lungworm. A cow, or scientifically known as a bovine, can carry an infection of the lower respiratory tract, usually resulting in bronchitis or pneumonia, but it can also be caused by several parasitic nematodes which get passed on through the milk. This can usually only be prevented by vaccines, so unless cows are getting vaccines and you would be consuming the milk of a vaccined cow, then 
this bovine lungworm disease can be passed on to humans when we consume the milk. Many farmers do not vaccinate their cows because it's seen as a waste of money. Just as well, milk does not build healthy bones. A Harvard study which looked at a group of around 73,000 postmenopausal women showed that over 18 years, women who drank a daily serving of milk had no protection against bone disease and hip fractures. Researchers have also studied bone development in children and whether they could get stress fractures more easily, and also the children who drank milk had zero protection. The countries, oftentimes with the highest rates of dairy consumption, also have the highest rates of osteoporosis. When we look at countries that have a very high-fat diet or cultures that have a very high-fat diet, for example, the Inuit tribes up north in very high North America, they were consuming over the course of evolution quite a bit of whale blubber. And whale blubber, although it has vitamin C in it from the plankton, which it it consumes and then gets passed on into the whale itself, there are trace amounts of vitamin C, which is an essential nutrient for humans to help keep them alive. When you're eating so high in fat, your body has a very set pH level. And if that changes, you die. It has to stay at a certain level. So your body must act accordingly in order to adjust to a state of alkalinity as much as possible. And the way in which your body adjusts to creating a state of alkalinity is by leaching calcium from the bones. When we look at the tribes, the Inuit tribe that from the archaeological evidence, we see that there's a large incidence of early death and osteoporosis amongst this group of people because they were consuming a diet so high in fat, an animal fat to be exact. Milk, unfortunately, along with it being just a huge concoction of hormones, is not ideal for human health and does not promote healthy bones at all. Even in its most pure form, milk is not a human food. Milk is meant to bring a baby cow to grow to be several hundred pound animal and fairly quickly. The protein strands as well as the hormone makeup greatly surpass the needs for humans, which any at all, let alone more, isn't better. It's actually extremely harmful. Even if you are drinking organic, not injected with bovine growth hormone milk, you are still consuming a hormone-packed fluid that is filled with estrogenic hormones and sex hormones. Organic milk has just as much galactose, saturated fat, and cholesterol as non-organic milk, making it, in a dietary perspective, not much healthier. And whether you want to go low-fat or full-fat or 2% or whatever, milk is still not a human food. Milk also has pus in it, and there's actually a legal amount of pus that is allowed in milk, 750,000 pus cells per cc, which is pretty nasty if you think about it. And you can kind of think of cheese as coagulated pus, to be honest. It's pretty gross. You know, if you are somebody who does crave dairy products or cheese especially, there are things within the plant realm that can highly mimic that. Uh, Things like nutritional yeast or things like nuts and seeds like cashews, macadamia nuts, they can all be used with probiotic capsules and you can create a recipe that tastes very similar to cheese without all the hormones in it. 
Is it still the most ideal food for human health? No. However, it is a step in the right direction in regards to getting on a healthier path. Back in 2008, the global dairy industry met for the goal of neutralizing the negative image of milk fat by regulators and medical professionals. The main study funded entitled Meta-Analysis of Prospective Cohort Studies Evaluating Association of Saturated Fat with Cardiovascular Disease was supported by the National Dairy Council. So it was a completely biased study that was just meant to cause confusion to consumers in regards to what is fact and what is false. The old notion that milk is going to help you build strong bones is, is simply a hypocritical myth. Because people who drink more milk have more hip fractures, more cancer, more diabetes, and actually live shorter lives. The dairy consumption in males puts them at a 34% risk of prostate cancer. The dairy industry has tried to come out in years to vindicate saturated fat and saying that it's not that bad. However, the number one source of saturated fat is dairy. Things like butter, milk, yogurt, things of this nature. And when you look at the comparison between beef and chicken in terms of cholesterol in a, you know, three to five ounce serving, beef has about 89 milligrams and chicken has about 85 milligrams on average, making them pretty level on the unhealthy spectrum. Even though people try to always say that chicken is healthier than eating beef. Just as well, 95% of chicken contains animal waste bacteria, again, due to the high slaughter speeds conducted in the factory farming processing plants when these animals are being slaughtered. And something that may surprise people is that the actually the leading source of sodium in the American diet is sodium from chicken. Once slaughtered, defeathered, and decapitated, the chickens are then injected with a salt water fluid to bulk them up and improve the flavor. Chicken should not be considered a health food, nor is it a healthy source of protein. We can always go towards things like leafy greens and fruits to get our protein needs net. When we take a look at eggs, studies suggest that in regards to life expectancy, consuming just one egg a day is comparable to smoking five cigarettes in longevity. The yolk of an egg contains the highest amount of saturated fat and cholesterol and is essentially designed to hatch a baby chicken in 21 days with no outside energy when and if it is fertilized. When we put egg yolks into our bodies, it coats the red blood cells in our bloodstream, making it very difficult to uptake, transport, and deliver oxygen to our cells. As well, it makes our blood thicker, more viscous, and changes our hormone levels, it raises our cholesterol levels, and clogs up our blood vessels with animal fat. The egg industry similarly funds studies which confuse consumers by stating short-term egg consumption does not adversely affect endothelial cell functioning in adults. However, endothelial cells are affected no matter what type of heated fat, but I will get to that later. When we move on to fish, some people think, oh, well, you know, I can be pescatarian and not eat meat or eggs or dairy or chicken. I can just have fish. Fish is really healthy, right? It's like light. Not exactly. Fish has a range of toxins in it as well as mercury, PCBs, saturated fat, and cholesterol. 
pesticides, herbicides, and a host of other harmful toxins bioaccumulate in the fish in the process of them consuming other fish lower on the food chain. These toxins, which are in fish, have estrogenic and cancer-promoting properties within them. As well, genetically modified fish like salmon and tilapia and several other types of fish like tuna are given antibiotics as well as antifungals in addition to a genetically modified corn and soy feed with pigmented coloring to make them grow bigger faster and have a certain pigmentation which would otherwise not exist and the fish may look very gray rather than pink and healthy on the inside. When humans eat dead meat bacteria toxins, literally within minutes, inflammation, stiffness, and paralysis of your arteries occurs. It's not something that you can project to be like, all right, 10 years down the line, this meat-eating thing is going to affect me. It literally hits your system right away, the moment when it is consumed. Heterocyclic amines, as well as acrylamides, are carcinogens, and these form in any type of meat, dairy, poultry, or eggs when they are cooked. These can be found in every single fast food restaurant serving chicken, as well as places like sandwich places like Subway. We need to reduce the growth factors of cancer, like IGF-1 growth hormone, which is involved in every single stage of cancer growth, the spreading of it, the metastases, and any type of animal protein boosts the level of IGF-1 hormone significantly. So if you choose to consume meat or animal-based products, you are increasing your risk of cancer by boosting the IGF-1 growth hormone. As much as white refined sugar is not good for you because it is nutrient deficient, it has excess calories, it spikes your insulin and converts to fat more easily, it's still not as bad as eating meat. You don't get inflammation right away. You don't get the plaque forming in your arterial walls, your blood vessels, like you will from eating meat, dairy, chicken, eggs, pork, lamb, and fish. Our biochemistry and psychology indicate that we are not carnivores. All protein is initially made by plants as it is. It is not necessary to eat animal tissue in order to get protein. Only plants have the ability to take nitrogen from the air, break down those molecules, and incorporate that nitrogen into amino acids and then make protein. And as humans, we do not need much protein. Again, when we look at mother's milk, between 3 to 8% of the composition of mother's milk is actually protein, and that is during the time when we are growing the most. When we look at the composition of the amino acid content in fruits and vegetables, it is usually between 3 to 10%, which is in a perfect range. Things like actually legumes, meat, dairy products, and most cooked sources of protein, the protein is actually far too high for the body, and this can actually have a lot of adverse reactions to the organs and the blood and People do often say like, oh, I need chicken and protein or eggs to build muscle or I feel weak without it. In actuality, it's, it's nonsense and it's just brainwashing that has been done by these you know, companies which advertise their product and artificially like fund studies which are done by organizations which we are thought to be trustworthy but actually are not, they're not actually helping our health. 
Oftentimes, I've heard people say that I don't get all the nutrition I eat from eating plant-based, but the truth is you're probably not getting all the nutrition you need by eating a meat-based diet, and your vitamin and mineral levels can only truly improve or go into a healthier range by eating more plant-based foods. When we look at the difference between carnivores and frugivores, humans are frugivores. We are designed to eat fruit and thrive off a diet of fruit. We are not carnivores, and here are a few reasons why. Carnivores consume most of the animal which they kill with their own body, their dentition, their jaws, their claws, their agility and their prowess and their ability to hunt and run down an animal and kill it. But they also not only eat the flesh, they eat it with relish, eating the bone, muscle, and the organs, lapping up the warm, fresh blood and other bodily fluids with gusto. Humans take absolutely no interest in any of that. Otherwise, you would see people on the side of the road just eating up roadkill, which is not the case. Humans are bipedal, meaning we walk on two legs, whereas carnivores are quadrupedal. Humans do not have tails, whereas carnivores do have tails. Humans have soft tongues, which are appropriate for eating fruit. However, carnivores have rasping, rough tongues to assist them in licking all of the bits off the bone and getting through some of the gristle of the hair and skin they might be consuming from an animal. Humans have soft, flat, fairly thin fingernails, whereas carnivores have long, thick claws. Humans have opposable thumbs, making it easy for them to grab fruits and other objects, whereas carnivores have claws which allow them to catch prey within seconds. Humans are essentially about as great at chasing down a deer and killing it with our bare hands as lions are at picking peaches. Humans typically give birth to one child at a time, whereas carnivores give birth and nurse to litters. Humans have a very long digestive tract, which is roughly about 12 times the size of our body, which allows for the slow absorption of sugars and other waterborne nutrients in fruit. Carnivores, however, have digestive tract, which is highly acidic and only three times the length of its torso and can pass rotting flesh and bones and cartilage very quickly. One of the largest issues people have with meat consumption is that there is a lack of fiber and it stays stuck in the colon, contributing to ulcers of the colon, colitis, diverticulitis, as well as colon cancer. When you're eating plant foods that are high in fiber, water, and nutrients, that will pass through your system with a greater deal of ease. Humans are awake two-thirds of the 24-hour cycle in a day, whereas carnivores sleep between 18 to 20 hours a day. We are supposed to be up during the day, out and about, and sleeping when the sun goes down. When it comes to vision, humans see in full color, allowing us to decide ripeness when we look at fruit on a tree. However, carnivores do not typically see in color. And to be honest, Colorful packaging is usually used to lure people in, and if we see something that's really colorful and beautiful, humans get very attracted to it. But if something's very gray and dark and dull, that's not very appealing. So that's something to keep in mind when you see foods that are packaged and processed and advertising is really using that to get people's attention. But if you go in the produce section, everything's really colorful and beautiful. The most colorful fruits 
are the ones which stand out to us the most and seem the most appealing. When it comes to hydration, humans are capable of sucking up water using our lips but cannot lap up water with our tongue like a carnivore. Humans can fit a meal in their hands with several pieces of picked fruit, whereas a carnivore will typically consume the entire animal it has killed rather than just a steak. Carnivores produce their own vitamin C, unlike humans, for whom it is most easily found in ripe, raw, fresh, organic fruits, as well as some greens. Our jaw movement as humans is a grinding motion rather than carnivores, which their jaw moves laterally. Humans' dental formula is closest to that of anthropoids, being a 2-1-5, which refers to the number of incisors, canines, and molars a species has, versus a 3-1-5-8 formula of carnivores. Our quote-unquote canine teeth bear absolutely no resemblance to those of true carnivores, which can stab and pierce through thick bone, skin, and fur. Humans cannot thrive on a high-fat diet due to the fact being that our main source of fuel is carbohydrates from glucose and fructose. This causes no excess strain to our pancreas, which would be the case if we were a carnivore. Carnivores thrive on acid-forming foods like meat and bones, and they have a higher stomach acid whereas humans thrive on an alkaline diet. An acidic diet is very disease-forming in the body. Humans also are not herbivores because we don't thrive off of eating grass, weeds, stalks, or stems, and we do not produce cellulase or other enzymes that break down those plants like herbivores, like hippos or rhinos do. Simple sugars, which are the body's primary fuel, are best found in fruits. Nutrients from animal protein increase cancer growth, and nutrients from plants decrease cancer growth. This is absolutely the research across the board. I know that, like, letting go can be really, really hard, and thinking about, wow, all of this information that's just been presented to me, that's so crazy. That's so crazy that maybe I've believed that these foods were essential for my health or that I needed to eat this or that in order to be quote-unquote healthy. But the fact of the matter is we don't live in a society where we have to eat what is just available to us. There are supermarkets on every single corner. If you are dealing with a financial deficit, there are ways in which you can even shop at the farmer's markets if you are receiving federal funding to help you pay for your bills and for your food. There are ways to eat plant-based in such a way that are very economical. Meat and dairy products, animal foods are the most expensive thing that people typically buy. And just because you have the money to buy it doesn't mean that it's the best way to spend your money. You can buy plant foods which will nourish your body and prevent you from getting disease rather than buy things that are and consume things that are actually going to be toxic for your system and cause you more medical bills and health troubles down the line. Now, some people may say, okay, well, what about cooked food? Is there something wrong with that? Allow me to share. <laughs> Richer foods usually excite our senses because it is nature's way of telling us they will provide the highest amount of dietary reward with the least amount of effort. And this has helped our ancestors over time find the most calorie-dense foods for our survival. The issue with cooking is that it drives out the water, which drastically changes the chemical compounds in fruits and vegetables. And fruits and vegetables have the purest 
form of water in them. They have natural filters which bring just the perfect amount of water in through them. And this is very beneficial for human health. However, when these substances, when these fruits and vegetables are cooked, that is altered. Salt and sugar and fat are added to foods, especially fast foods, to enhance the flavors, which would otherwise be very bland and unpleasant. Sugar and salt and fat are rarely found as highly processed in nature as they are found in fast food restaurants, and our bodies are truly not designed to break down these substances properly, hence the degree of diseases often associated with these food-like products. Heated fats and proteins of any kind are quite pathogenic. Our endothelial cells, as mentioned earlier, when discussing heated fats and heated meats and heated protein sources. Our endothelium is a type of lining to the interior surface of our blood vessels and lymphatic vessels, forming an interface between circulating blood or lymph in the lumen and the rest of the vessel wall. is a very thin layer of simple squamous cells called endothelial cells. When these cells become damaged, there is a buildup of lymphatic fluid and clotting usually occurs. Now, when we look at things like oil, olive oil, which is commonly consumed, activates clotting factor 7. And factor 7 is one of the proteins that causes blood to clot in the coagulation cascade. It is an enzyme of the serine protease class. And when we consume things like oil, especially heated oil, it is just as detrimental to our blood as butter. So even as a vegan, if you're consuming oil, this is still not healthy for your lymphatic system. You want to have a very clean, pure, functioning lymphatic system. That way you can process anything out of your body as it's needed. Also, when we eat high amounts of protein, especially cooked protein, this does compromise our lymphatic system because any excess protein has to be processed by the kidneys and the liver, which is oftentimes very taxing, oftentimes very straining on the adrenal glands, and can cause a lot of adrenal fatigue in people who are eating very, very high amounts of protein. And if you have a lot of stuff stuck in your lymphatic system. You are going to have a lot of coagulated fluid. You're going to have a lot of fluid retention in your body, and that's not something you want for optimum health. When we consume too much protein, it increases our blood leucine level. The amino acid leucine increases tryptophan, prolase, and this is a process by which tryptophan is irreversibly converted. Unfortunately, the liver cannot decompose leucine, so this is not something we want to entertain as a part of our daily regime of eating so much protein. Grains, beans, and vegetables are high in protein. However, they contain too much fiber, which inhibits proper cholesterol absorption. Oftentimes, you don't consume any excess dietary cholesterol, but your body does produce its own cholesterol, which is why we don't need excess cholesterol, and you do want that healthy absorption of the cholesterol taking place within your own diet. High protein levels, again, are not a good thing, even from plant sources, as this causes attacks on the kidneys to rid of the unnecessary excess. Invariably, when eating legumes, which, you know, beans, garbanzo beans, kidney beans, white beans, cannellini beans, 
all types of beans, lentils. Humans oftentimes get gassy, which is an indication that their digestive processes have become compromised. Legumes are actually toxic to most mammals in their raw, uncooked state, especially to humans. Most legumes, even if cooked, cause a great deal of digestive turmoil due to them being far too high in protein than necessary for human consumption. Oftentimes, a lot of this will be secreted out through the urine, and you will see after if you consume a high amount of protein that your urine will oftentimes be quite a bit darker and sometimes even have a different fragrance to it. Grains are not ideal for humans because they must be cooked, causing toxic acrylamide in the process. Cooked carbohydrates require great digestive effort to break down and cannot be eaten raw. Eating a tablespoon of raw grains or flour from the seeds of any cereal grain would also produce a gag reflex if eaten dry. And many of the grains have so much insoluble fiber that it actually scrapes at the walls of our soft intestines, causing quite a bit of irritation that is not helpful and not beneficial to our health and the health of our colon. It's very irritating and very unnecessary. There are also no foods below the ground that truly please our palates. Although some people, you know, enjoy like obviously biting into carrots or maybe some people enjoy biting into a beet, it's rare to find someone who's going to really truly enjoy biting into something like a like a russet potato or a sweet potato that is covered in dirt. A lot of pigs enjoy eating a lot of tubers and such. And there are even tribes in Africa that do thrive off eating a lot of cooked tubers. However, it's not the most ideal food for human health. Potatoes and tubers contain glycoalkaloids, which are toxic to the human system when eaten in raw form. When we look at the Peruvian archipelago in South America, way, way back when they were doing a lot of farming and such, They have a lot of heirloom varieties of potatoes in Peru. And what they would do, since there's a lot of varying altitudes within the Peruvian mountain ranges, they would take the potatoes from the ground levels and take them all the way up into the high, high altitudes in which the potatoes would become freeze-dried. And once they were completely freeze-dried, they would be able to break this down. However... This is still not the ideal process. The ideal human food is essentially fruits because there is no real processing that has to take place. We can just pick it off of a tree and eat it. So as creative as the Peruvians were, that's not something we necessarily want to keep in our system. And it also did lead to other effects. They did have to consume coca leaf, which is from the coca plant related to cocaine, when concentrated, but they did consume the coca leaf and chew on it in order to thin out their blood so that they would be able to go into these higher altitudes and not get altitude sickness. But the chewing of this leaf actually caused a lot of dental issues for them. So there's always ways in which we can try to like borrow from Peter to pay off Paul, but our health suffers. With fruit, we don't have to make compromises like that. Vegetables and grains do contain quite a bit of cadmium. Today, what we consider a normal intake of cadmium is already about 50% above the maximally acceptable amount. 
even a low intake of cadmium decreases the serotonin level, increasing cravings. I personally don't eat a lot of vegetables. I do eat a lot of fruits and greens, but I don't eat a lot of vegetables because I like to eat foods that have glucose in them because glucose is a building block for serotonin and melatonin, which are essential for keeping calm and such. And of course, I have my yoga and my meditation practice, which are very helpful. However, and the crazy thing is that humans are the only species which cook its food. A researcher and scientist, Louis Pasteur, which if you've heard of pasteurization, it comes from his last name. He was alive around the time 1825 to 1895. And his whole process really kind of stemmed from eliminating germs and bacteria, and he saw those as a danger to human health. But these germs and bacteria proved to be far less harmful than believed unless the body is already run down. The body can totally process germs and bacteria. We have a lot of bacteria within our own system, which help a lot of different functions happen. Unfortunately, when we cook our food, there's a great deal of loss in nutritional value of the food. And repeated consumption of cooked food actually leads to a detrimental enlarged pancreas as well as damage to the liver, heart, thyroid, adrenal glands, and most other organs as a result of toxic exposure combined with a reduced oxygen availability. And in my yoga practice, I do address organs like the liver, the heart, the thyroid, the adrenal glands, and most other organs in the abdominal region. However, yoga alone will not do all the work for improving your health if you're putting toxic substances into your body. The true benefits occur when you stop putting the toxins in and you put the proper food in and you allow your body to heal itself. Undigested proteins can cause arthritis, leaky gut, as well as autoimmune disorders. So, People oftentimes cook vegetables in order to break them down or make them more digestible because they have so much insoluble fiber in them and are very difficult for humans to break down. So oftentimes they are cooked, but still too much protein. Protein molecules interact with dietary carbohydrates forming new molecules, and this process is called the Maillard reaction. And we can see this take place when you cook an egg or fry potatoes. You can clearly see the molecular changes that take place. You know, the egg will turn white and fried potato slices become crunchy and are locally browned, and that's again where you see that acrylamide pop up. But this Maillard reaction is actually very harmful to human health because once those substances are bound, it's very difficult for the body to break certain things down. So that's why many people feel after Thanksgiving dinner or a huge meal where they've eaten a lot of cooked food, they feel very sluggish and tired and very like, you know, their nervous system, their endocrine system is fairly taxed and compromised as a result of them, you know, consuming foods that are not beneficial for their energy levels. Whereas if you eat a meal of fruit, you're not really going to feel that sluggish. You're going to feel pretty energized. You're going to feel pretty happy and be able to move around and you'll probably be able to still get up and play with your kids or be active to a certain extent if you haven't totally overdone it. But you're not going to get that sluggishness or that tiredness that's just going to make you want to sit down on the couch and watch television programming 
Now, when it does come back to sugar, in 1973, the U.S. Congress passed a new farm subsidy bill essentially encouraging an increase in corn production, and one of the major byproducts of the surplus came to be high fructose corn syrup. Now, when it comes to diabetes or bringing it back to diabetes, even when we look at plant-based foods, not all plant-based foods are equal. And when we're eating concentrated types of plant-based foods rather than eating like a corn off the cob type of situation, if you're eating corn off the cob, you're not going to be getting the same intense effects on your liver and your pancreas that you would be if you had something like high fructose corn syrup, which has no fiber in it, no water, no minerals, no nutrients. It's just pure sweetener. So processed is not usually better. The overconsumption of concentrated processed foods containing ingredients like high fructose corn syrup greatly contribute to the obesity epidemic. In general, when people eat cooked foods, it's much easier to eat a higher quantity of them yet still not feel nutritionally satisfied because so much of the nutrition is compromised and it's not the type of food that best meets our biological needs as humans. I've seen people achieve incredible things eating raw and tremendous amount of healing take place and I have experienced this myself. My body has healed. I don't get sick. I don't deal with infections. My body functions much, much better than it used to. My digestion is wonderful, whereas it used to be extremely, extremely compromised in the past, and I'll probably go into that in a different episode. My whole outlook on life has changed as a result of letting go of certain foods in my diet, and it's been nothing but beneficial for me there's there's been learning curves to certain things, but I'm really, really grateful that this has been something that I've incorporated in my life and I now have friends and peers of mine that are around, you know, my same age and that I've had as friends during my 20s that I've been able to grow up with and support their growth and have a healthy relationship with myself and other people as well as with food which has been super super important to have a healthy relationship with my body mind and spirit not only through the practices that I keep in my daily regimen but very very importantly my diet I don't feel like you can out exercise a bad diet and I do feel like having a clean diet is actually more important than exercising a lot our bodies are designed to thrive on a diet of mainly fruit. Every cell in the human body runs on glucose or fructose, and the most nutritionally dense, readily available source of this is ripe, fresh, raw, organic, preferably fruit. Foods that are good for us are good only in moderation. However, foods that are not good for us, which we are not biologically designed to consume, are harmful to us and should be avoided regardless of the dose. Despite our wishful thinking and advertising that tries to play with our emotions and get us to believe the contrary, our digestive system is more than just a pleasure tube that eventually eliminates whatever indigestible concoction of ingredients we fill it with. People oftentimes get freaked out about sugar in fruit and how much sugar it has. However, we have storage for glycogen in our muscles and liver for the carbohydrates to be converted into glycogen and then stored in these glycogen stores. When we eat carbohydrates from fruit, 
we create glycogen, which is either stored in those glycogen stores or burned for energy and calories. When you eat fat, however, it goes straight to your fat cells. Your body can't turn glycogen into fat unless you are really, really, really overdoing it with the calories and eating like over 10,000 calories, 20,000 calories of plant-based carbs a day, which is extremely challenging to do. And I do know some people have posted challenges like that on YouTube. Go ahead and check it out. If you think you can do that and you really think that you can gain weight from eating fruit, I definitely challenge you. But the truth of the matter is fruit has been my main source of calories for the past eight years. And I am at a very, very healthy weight probably on the lower end of the spectrum in regards to what's healthy for someone my height. However, I function normally. My energy levels are great. I sleep well. I have so much energy to exercise and give back to my community. And I really have a very healthy mental outlook on life. The soft fiber in fruit is ideal for our intestinal tract functioning as well and allows slow absorption of water and glucose and fructose from fruits rather than it being a rapid absorption if it was cooked or concentrated. Glucose enables the uptake of tryptophan in the brain and thus the production of serotonin, which actually inhibits cravings and curbs cortisol imbalance in the body. The fats in avocados, durian, brazil nuts are all awesome fatty acids, but you can also have things like chia seeds, flax seeds, cashews, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds that all have like a different fat profile. But you can get your balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids very easily from eating a diet of fruits, greens, nuts, and seeds. And it's important to eat the nuts and seeds in a small amount because we really don't need that much fat either. A good way to gauge it is getting about 80% of your daily calories from carbohydrates from raw plant foods as much as possible and having about 10% or less of that come from protein and about 10% or less of that come from fat. On a yearly basis, that may differ from week to week or day to day as far as those ratios are concerned, but this is really the optimum ratio for human health is to eat a lot of carbohydrates rich in carbon and hydration, which we are mostly made out of carbon, that will support our health and our growth. Each protein in plants and animals consists of up to 18 different amino acids linked to each other, up to thousands per protein in total. The body needs such amino acids for the construction of new cells, enzymes, and neurotransmitters. And the perfect thing about fruits and vegetables, and specifically fruit, is that between usually 2 to 10%, sometimes give or take a little bit more, of the total calories in that particular fruit will come from protein. So as long as you're eating enough calories from typically any food source, even if you're eating a fruit that has the lowest protein content in it, you will still be getting enough protein on a day-to-day basis to maintain your healthy functioning. And there are even if you want to do raw protein powders or have protein powders a part of your dietary regime, you can even get different raw plant-based protein powders at the stores. I personally don't consume those because I don't really feel a need for excess protein. I think an important way to think about it as well, people think like, oh, I'm giving up meat or I'm giving up dairy products or eggs. 
But what you're going to gain from that is just such a higher level of health and you're actually increasing the quality of the ingredients that you're eating and taking it one step further back, getting it one step less processed so that your body is not as stressed. That is one stressor you can absolutely control is that you're not going to be consuming foods that are going to lead you down a path of getting a chronic degenerative disease. That's no way to die. The foods that we eat are constantly in the process of becoming us. And about 500 calories of plant food fills the stomach completely. So if you are typically eating a a plant-based meal, it's a good gauge to eat about 500 calories of plant food and then give it a couple hours to digest. And then just you know, consider that really a good gauge in regards to what you consider a meal to be. About 500 calories of plant food will fill your stomach and will be pretty satiating. And people oftentimes get, you know, question me about fat, about where I get my fat. And to be honest, we derive our best pre-digested fats adequate to meet our fatty acid needs through fruits and tender greens. People hear pre-digested fats like, what is this? Did your mother chew it up and now she's giving it to you type of stuff? No, there's enzymes already in the food, so we don't have to use excess enzymes from our own body to break it down. It's already very, very easy to digest. As well, to say that human life is more important than that of another sentient being or living organism is inherently speciesist. Maybe some people have never heard that word before. However, speciesism is like racism, believing that one race is better than another. Speciesism is believing that one species is better than another. By contributing to the meat and dairy industry and the death and the suffering that these animals go through, only after being consumed, cause the host who is ingesting their dead bodies or the byproducts of their bodies to become sick and diseased themselves is not a process that needs to continue for the growth and the evolution of our planet. This process has already contributed to a great deal of environmental damage, damage to human health, and the pretty much continued genocide of certain species of animals this very minute. Animal products are not essential for human health. When we can learn to make this paradigm shift happen, we can only thrive and experience our own ability to have compassion and empathy for other sentient beings who exist and who we share this planet with. When we eat raw fruits and vegetables, high and simple carbohydrates, water, and nutrients, and efficiently raise the oxygen-carrying capacity and efficiency of hemoglobin in the blood, vastly reducing the likelihood of cancer, which thrives in a high-fat, oxygen-deficient environment within our body. People oftentimes think that genetics are the cause of many diseases. However, people have inherited their lifestyles through their family more so than the genetics to predispose them for a chronic degenerative disease. Those epigenetic lifestyle factors are far more powerful in disease causation and prevention by what is consumed through an individual's diet. Now you might be thinking, whoa, that was a lot to take in. And it is. 
But I think the best step that you can take is make the best individual choices for you and your family and the people that you love. Start to feed yourself raw plant-based foods. Eat one raw meal a day if that's what you can do. Start with breakfast, have a smoothie for lunch, have a salad for dinner, have some fruit during the day, eat a fruit meal, start purchasing more fruit. Start to go to restaurants which support plant-based foods and plant-based diets. If you don't feel comfortable eating 100% raw, maybe ease your way into it and start eating more plant-based foods which you're comfortable eating until you find yourself enjoying truly the abundance which a raw food diet can offer you. Raw fruits and tender greens are the ideal foods for human nutrition and health. And when we consume these foods, we are able to get a diverse range of nutrients, phytonutrients, vitamins, minerals that will all help our body function at its best on a biological level. This is not opinion. It is not hocus pocus. This is really medically backed up. When we stop eating the foods that are causing us disease and instead in place put in the foods which are supporting our health, we can thrive at our fullest and live our best, most vibrant lives. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 